Amen. Lord, we, could, we do come before you tonight. We pour out our hearts before you. And Lord, we thank you that no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter how far away we've walked from you, you're a loving and a gracious and a merciful God. We can be transparent before you, Lord, and you will still see us righteous through the shed blood of your Son. So, Father, we come before you in humility and brokenness tonight, desiring to draw into you, to know you better. So, Father, I pray that you would be our teacher. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would fall upon us, Lord, and open our eyes to our desperate need for you. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. We magnify your name. We can't wait to see you face to face. Nothing greater. Nothing we long for more. May we get a taste of heaven tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's good to be back. I miss you on Sunday. I was sick, and I don't like that. But praise the Lord for uh, assistant pastors who are ready in season and out of season. Nothing quite like getting a phone call like two hours before church to know you're going to be teaching. They always appreciate when I do that to them. I did give him a head up, heads up the night before, but he actually, I don't think he actually knew he was teaching until a quarter to ten. So God bless him, amen? All right, Joshua 18 and 19 tonight, we're going to cover a lot of verses. Uh, we're continuing to look at the children of Israel as they progress into the, they progress into the land of promise. As we've been talking about repeatedly, Old Testament pictures reveal to us New Testament principles. And in this case, the land of promise is a picture of the Spirit-filled life. It's us learning to receive all that God has for us. God has an awesome plan for everybody in this room. And as we're going to see in tonight's text, sadly, many Christians, just like many of the children of Israel, are missing out on God's highest. And I'm not talking about stuff. I'm not talking about the physical things of this world. I'm not, not talking about the name it and claim it and grab it and blab it and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about Cadillac, 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 ones in your driveway. That's not what I'm talking about. God has so much more for us, but He has more for us in that which is everlasting. He has more for us in the areas that will impact eternity. And God has gifted everybody in this room. He's called you, adopted you, accepted you, redeemed you, chosen you. And He has so much more for your life. And so often we miss out on it. You know, as we walk in the center of God's will, baptized and filled to overflowing with His Holy Spirit, we will experience His peace, His joy, His love, and His power. And we can have victory to, to overcome the strongholds of sin in our lives. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so often as Christians, I think that we, we take for granted our sin, or we take it lightly. Guys, we are sinners, amen? We sin every day. But sin ought to grieve us. And sadly, what happens here with the children of Israel, they've heard the word of God, and these guys have progressed farther than anybody else, but yet, even in the land of promise, even walking in the center of God's will, they're still holding back a little bit from going full force for God. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. My prayer every morning is, Lord, let me be that man. I want to be that man. May you be that man. May you be that woman. I want to be the one, Lord. If you're looking for somebody, let it be me. Not because I'm righteous, not because I'm holy, but I am righteous and holy in you. Not because of my works, but because of your work. And what we're seeing here is the children of Israel, 
is going to be a picture of what's happening in many Christians' lives today. That we got, again, we're happy to be saved and maybe we're walking with the Lord, but yet we still hold back just a little bit on being totally sold out for God. And you know what? It's time for us to live for God with reckless abandon. The first half of Joshua, he talks about the battles as they go into the land of promise. And remember, they went in and wiped out Jericho and Ai and the Amorites and then the southern kingdom and all their kings and the northern kingdom and all their kings. And that's the first half of Joshua. But then we get to the second half. Now that the enemies and the fortresses and the armies have been conquered, and now they're to go in and they had specific land that had been given to them by God. And again, for you and I today, the battle's already been won. The battle belongs to the Lord. He already won at the cross. He said it is finished. And Jesus certainly has triumphed over sin, death, and the grave, but it's up to you and I to individually enter into all that God has for us. Knowing that while indeed the battle has been won, as we step out, the enemy is still there. Remember that Satan's resources are limited, and he's only going to go after those who are being used most by the kingdom of God. I love when Manny Barron says, Wow, the enemy's attacking you, brother. You're blessed. That means God must be using you. And praise the Lord, because it's so true. And thus far, we've witnessed the actions of five of the twelve tribes and getting their land. Now, two and a half of the tribes just flat out blew it. You guys, remember, Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh said, Why do we have to go over the Jordan River? We've already wiped out the giants on this side of the river, Sihon and Og. Why don't we just stay over here? Now, those of you who've been going through the Old Testament with us, again, I know I repeat this, but that's okay because you forget, right? Egypt is a type of the world. And again, the Passover is a picture of the cross delivering us out of bondage, the bondage of sin. The Red Sea, a picture, as it says in Corinthians, of being baptized, water baptism. At Mount Sinai, the giving of the law or the word of God. And then headed to the land of promise, the Jordan River is a picture of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And these are the two and a half tribes or a picture of those Christians. Again, as you've heard me say many times, have the get out of hell free card. I'm going to heaven, but I don't want any more than that. You know, if I wander in the wilderness and drop dead early, so be it. If I miss out on being used mildly for the kingdom of God, as long as I get into heaven, that's all I'm worried about. And, as long, and if I could be comfortable on my way to heaven, that would be even better. And so here's, here's these two and a half tribes saying, look, this land's already been conquered. Yeah, it's not the spirit-filled life. Yeah, it's not being totally sold out for God. But do I really want to be a Bible-toting Jesus freak anyway? <laughs> and someone emailed me that this week saying, my parents are worried that I'm going to become a Bible-toting Jesus freak. And I wrote back and I said, Lord willing, you'll be a Bible-toting Jesus freak. <laughs> By the grace of God, you'll be a Bible-toting Jesus freak. I can think of nothing better than to be called. Someone asked me at one time in a bowling alley. I don't know why I remember that. They said, what are you, some kind of Jesus freak? And I said, you bet. You bet. Amen? And so here we have these two and a half tribes that said, you know what? I'm, I'm good over here. The, the land's been conquered. We don't have to fight any more battles. You know, you guys go fight the giants. We just want to stay right outside of God's highest. And as we know, Gad, they were herding cows. When you get to the New Testament, the cows turn into what? pigs. And if you're a Jew herding pigs, that's not good because they don't eat pigs, right? It's, it's bad meat and the demons get cast into the pigs and they run off the side of the cliff. Guys, if we are outside of God's will, if we settle for less than God's highest, in the end, we will regret it. We'll be bummed. We really will. And so we see here that 
that they've camped outside, and Satan's temptation is trying to get us to settle for less than God's highest. And understand that settling for less than God's highest will be pleasing to our flesh. It absolutely will. I've heard people say to me, I don't want to give my life completely to God because then I'll end up on a mission field in Africa. (laughs) If I give my life completely to the Lord, He'll have me in India ministering to Hindus living in a shack. And you know what? If God has you do that, you will be the most joyful person in a shack on this planet. Because it's better to be in the center of God's will in a shack in India or out in the middle of nowhere than to be in a mansion outside of God's will. And it's so true and it's so key. And that's really what this type is all about. Is you see them continuing to settle for less and less and less than God's highest. We'll continue to look at that tonight. Now there was one though in the middle of all of them. If you remember the two and a half tribes settled on the outside. Now they start to settle on the inside. The first tribe to settle was Judah. Judah means praise. Judah went before them because praise goes before us into the presence of Almighty God. Judah led the way through the wilderness and Judah was the first one to inherit a land. The the main guy in the tribe of Judah's name was Caleb. Very good. Somebody's paying attention. Praise God. All right. Caleb was the main guy in the tribe of Judah. He was one of the two spies. He's now 85 years old. If you guys remember the story from a few weeks ago, he came, as soon as they got to the, getting ready to hand out the land, Caleb runs up to Joshua and says, hey, whoa, whoa, before you hand the lots out, I get the land of the giants. God told me 45 years ago, I could have the giants land and I get it. I don't think anybody was arguing or fighting with him. I don't think anybody else wanted it. And Caleb said, I got first pick. Give me the mountainous, driest, harshest place where the big, thick-necked giants are. God said I could have it. I want it. And as you heard me say a couple weeks ago, if I was Caleb, 85 years old, 45 years of praying, I would say the condo on the Mediterranean is my pick. Give me the beach house on the Sea of Galilee with a rocking chair, a remote control, and a bag of chips and some salsa, right? Let me just, I'm done, I've served God long enough, I'm just going to finish up. That was not Caleb's heart. Caleb said, I'm strong, I'm virile, God's not done with me. And as you've heard me say many times, if you're breathing in and out, God's not through with you yet, amen? So Caleb was the only one who actually did exactly what God said, and we saw in the last time that he actually went in and did what he said. He not only said, give me the land of the giants, he went into the land of giants and he wiped them all out. Well, guess what? The rest of his tribe was not so. Judah, sadly enough, wiped everybody out until they got down to the last group of people. And they did not destroy them. It says they would not or they could not destroy them. Now, did God promise they could destroy them? Yes. So they could have, but they chose not to. And at some point, we get to that place where we just choose not to. We hold on to that one area of sin in our life. Then we saw that two more tribes went in last week, Joseph's tri- the sons of Joseph, and those two tribes were Manasseh and Ephraim, and sadly they did the same exact thing as Judah. They went into the land, they were obedient to God up to a point. They got right down to it, they had wiped everybody else out, but there was one more group of people that they allowed to stay within the land. It was that one pet sin that you and I might hold on to. It's interesting that with Judah, the one tribe they left was in Jerusalem. And it wasn't until David came, many years later, that Jerusalem was actually taken the way that it should have been 
initially by Judah. Why wasn't it taken by Judah? Because they were more afraid of what men could do than they trusted in what God said he would do. And that's really where the line often comes. Because giving ourselves completely to God often means we've got to step out in faith, doesn't it? It often means we've got to get out of our comfort zone a little bit. And you know, Satan will always encourage us to stay where it's comfortable, where it's easy, and where we will face as little in the way of trials as possible. You know what, guys? We're going to move on to the text now, but due to our own fear of man, our own faithlessness, our own fleshly obedience... Somehow we think we know better than God. Here's God's plan. Here's what he says. This is what you should do. Okay, up to a point. I'll be sold out for God in every area of my life, but when it comes to business, you know, I got to leave my Christianity at the door and be a businessman. I mean, God understands that when I'm doing business that I have to set him aside for a minute. I don't ever want to set him aside for a second. How about you? Because you know what? I want him in everything I say and everything I do. And the point is that the enemy will often tempt us with physical ease and wealth and comfort. Because remember that they didn't conquer the last group of people. Instead, they enslaved them and had them be laborers for them. So they could have destroyed them. It's obvious because if you can enslave somebody, you can destroy them. But instead, they said, if we destroy them, that doesn't make sense. Why don't we just have them work for us and then we can sit in the recliner while they go out and plow our fields? The sad part is that by not destroying the enemy, they allowed the idols to come in too. That's why God said, wipe them out completely. So we're coming tonight to chapter 18. And as we come to this this final uh, portion here of dividing up the land, in tonight's text, we're going to see the distribution of the final seven tribes. So five tribes have received their land. Ephraim, Manasseh, Gad, Reuben, who else? And Judah. So five tribes have received it, seven tribes have not. And so we come to this point now that five of the tribes stepped up and asked for what God had for them, but there were those who were hesitating to claim their inheritance. And they were guilty of the sin of neglect. I want to say this real clear as we go into the text itself. The neglecting to go and to possess the land that the Lord had given them was much like many Christians today who are taking their faith for granted, sitting around waiting for something to happen instead of stepping out in obedience and faith. You know, one of the things that I hear often as a pastor that, I'll be honest with you, concerns me. People even spiritualize their laziness and neglect and say they're waiting upon the Lord. I'm just waiting upon God. How long have you been waiting? About 17 years now. When God moves, I'll know what I'm supposed to be doing. And until then, you know what? When God has given you a clear command, you don't have to wait. Amen? You don't have to wait to figure out whether or not you should be doing things that are clearly defined in the Word of God. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Who's supposed to be doing that? Everybody. Amen? That's the Great Commission. Well, I just don't have the gift of sharing my... That's not a gift. It's a calling. You all have it. Amen? See, when I get sick, I come back double loaded up. See, that's what happens. Now, here's the thing. We need not wait in apathy and faithlessness and neglect, but respond by faith with reckless abandon and obedience to God's command. Sometimes it's a sin, you guys, to do nothing. Sometimes doing nothing is a sin. I'm glad that my Sunday school teacher, when I was four years old, decided to get up and come to Sunday school that morning, had been praying for all the kids in her class that week by name, including me, 
that she was faithful to share the word of God the way that she did and that she led me to the Lord. Because if she had done nothing, I would not have gotten saved that day. Praise God for her. Amen? We can sit back and do nothing. When we neglect to use our gifts, the whole body suffers. So tonight, the title of the message is Neglecting God's Gifts. And in tonight's text, we're going to see where the neglect of God's gift is often revealed. We're going to see where it often is showed up, shows up. When people aren't using their gifts, where does it first show up? Then we're going to see the exhortation by Joshua to no longer neglect their gifts. Then he's going to call them to take inventory in their land, where they're going to see what they're missing by holding back on what God has for them. And then lastly, we're going to see the sovereign hand of God, that he's in control of all things as he divides up the land. Let's begin in verse 1 of Joshua 18, neglecting God's gift. Where does that gift, where does the fact that people are neglecting the gift of God usually show up first? Look what it says in verse 1 of chapter 18. Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh. The whole congregation. Now this is several million people. They all come together at Shiloh. Before this, their headquarters was Gilgal. They have now moved the headquarters down to Shiloh. Shiloh is in Ephraim, right in the very center of the land of promise. It's there for a reason, because it's right in the center where everybody can come. And this is going to be the place of worship for the next 400 years, where the tabernacle is going to dwell for the next 400 years, where the Ark of the Covenant is going to dwell for the next 400 years. And as they gather together, the whole congregation gathers together to worship. Now, some time has gone by. We don't know how much for sure. It could have been a year or two since Judah and Manasseh and Ephraim have gone in and taken their land, and there's still seven tribes standing around like this, doing nothing. Now, they come together to worship God at Shiloh. Now, I love that every word in the Bible is in the Bible for a reason. They're in this land that's fruitful, flowing with milk and honey. And the word Shiloh, for anybody who's taking notes, write it in, your, in the margin of your Bible, it has two meanings. And the meanings are sent and peaceful one. And I love this because in Genesis 49.10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Shiloh there is a reference to the Messiah. Until Shiloh comes. And it's in Shiloh where the tabernacle is. Because the tabernacle, those of you guys who were here, we went through Exodus and Leviticus. The tabernacle points to whom? Oh, come on. The tabernacle points to whom? Jesus Christ. From every piece of cloth that is used from every sacrifice that is made it's jesus 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 and now here they are in this tabernacle where the glory of god dwells within it is the ark of the covenant the ark being a picture of christ three things in the ark the staff of aaron right the manna and the ten commandments who is the word jesus who's the bread of life jesus who's the great high priest Jesus. It all points to Jesus, and he says, and it will dwell not until Shiloh comes. This is all pointing to Christ, and they're gathered together at Shiloh. Again, that which points to the Lord, and they're worshiping Almighty God. These were Jacob's last words, those I just quoted to you. 
and to him will be the obedience of his people. Shiloh points to the Messiah. And it says, and they set up the tabernacle of meeting there. And as we just spoke about, this is going to be the place of sacrifice, of atonement, the place of God's presence, the central place of worship for all of Israel for 400 years. Now, the fact that Shiloh was within Ephraim is significant. Why? Because Ephraim is the tribe of Joshua. And Joshua's name, Yahshua, can also be transliterated what? Jesus. Jesus. Okay? So we know that God is divinely over everything. Nothing happens by chance with the Lord. And so here in this tribe of Ephraim, where Joshua was, Yeshua, is where, again, the tabernacle is that all points to Jesus, and Shiloh that speaks of the Messiah. you got to love the Bible, because it just fits together perfectly. Now, Deuteronomy 12, God told them that they were to have one prescribed place of worship, so the people would not fall into the surrounding idolatry to keep them from going off and worshiping in their own way. Now, when people say to you, I just worship God in my own way. You know, I got the, you know, me and I meet the Lord out on the golf course. That's just where I meet him. I meet him out on my surfboard. You know, I'm just so close to nature and so close to, you know, I'm just so close to him there. That's my cathedral. Nice try. That doesn't work. Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. Amen? You cannot use your gifts to minister to others while you're sitting on a surfboard or swinging your nine iron. Amen? That's not where you are using your gifts to honor God. And the Lord said, I want you to, you're going to all come to one place to worship me. And the ark's going to be in that one place. The ark is a picture of the cross, ultimately. The altar is a picture of the cross, the altar of bronze. It speaks of judgment that a a man could lay on. And there was four points where the sacrifice was tied down to and his blood was sprinkled, just like the four points of the cross. It's all Jesus. And we try to go some other way, some other path. We're trying to get to Almighty God without Jesus Christ, and it's impossible to get to Almighty God except through Jesus Christ. Amen? There's no other way to get to heaven except through our Savior alone. The tabernacle and the ark would stay there again for over 400 year period of time. No longer wandering in the wilderness. And then it says, And the land was subdued before them. The battle had been won. Every tribe ought to have gone in to possess their portion by now. The land had been subdued. The enemy's wiped out. All you got to do is walk in. Go get it. Here it is. Taken care of. It belongs to you. Caleb understood that. Caleb, 85, went up and whipped up a bunch of giants, on a bunch of giants. I said it a couple weeks ago, I believe it. I believe if Caleb had gone into Jerusalem, he could have wiped out all the Jebusites in their stronghold all by himself. You know why? Because God was on his side. Giants are only giant if you have a small God. And if you have a great and awesome God, there are no giants. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But sadly, so often we miss out on God's highest because we come right to, to that place where we're going to be stretched and then we just, that's just a little too uncomfortable for me. You know, I, Lord, I'll give you this much, but nothing more than that. There's no greater joy than to walk in the center of God's will. Possessing your portion meant warfare. 
Guys, it requires drive. It requires discipline. It requires obedience. It requires faith to walk in the center of God's will. It absolutely does. But know this, if you will step out, victory is assured, even though the enemy is still there. Again, the land had been subdued. It didn't mean there weren't any more battles left. It just meant that victory was assured in the battle. The mighty armies were gone. There were going to be individual struggles and trials out there waiting for them. But if they would simply move out, they would get to see God move. You know what? Could God have wiped out all the enemies in the land completely? Of course he could have. Why did he leave? a few people here and there, a small band of people here and there. Why did he do that? Opportunity for growth. How else are you going to grow if you never face a trial? Amen? People say, yeah, I just want to grow spiritually. Hold on. <laughs> really? Do you really? You want me to pray that for you? Just pray for me, pastor, that I can just grow spiritually. Okay. <laughs> there it is. Call me the next week. I just lost my job. You're growing. <laughs> God answers prayer. It's in the midst of trials that we grow. Without a test, there can be no testimony. Amen? And that's where the opportunity is. And he leaves those things that are still there so we can learn to trust in the greatness of our God. But look what it says. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. So five tribes had their possession, as we said, but seven tribes hadn't received it. They've waited and done nothing for more than, a year, more than a year. Now, they may have had some real good excuses for why they didn't enter into their inheritance. We weren't really sure exactly where it was. Now, if God had just shown me what it was, I'd have gone. And too often, we want God to lay out every step, and then we'll go. You know, Lord, give me a roadmap for the next 50 years. Show me exactly how it's going to happen. Put the money in the bank so I know for the next 50 years I'm covered. Make sure that you, you tell me how my health's going to be. Let me know when I'm going to get married. Pick, you know, let me pick my wife. Do all this stuff. Okay, then, Lord, I'll step out. You know what? Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. God's looking for us to... It's not faith if God gives us a roadmap with every detail. Just driving the car. He's telling them, step out. Trust me. Step out. Go even when you don't fully understand. See, the real problem here was neglect as they did not fulfill what God had called them to do. And you and I can neglect our inheritance as well. In 1 Timothy, Paul exhorted Timothy, neglect not the gift that is in you. Timothy was a young pastor facing false teachers. Others in his congregation thought he was too young. It was interesting tonight, a lady called the church, wanted to know about one of our ministries. And I'm talking to her on the phone and she says, now, now, who teaches that? It's not that guy on the radio, is it? I said, no, he, he doesn't teach it. She goes, well, good, because I can't take that guy. Said, well, there's several, th I said, there's several things in our church that he doesn't teach. You can go to this, you can go to this. I said, matter of fact, I know he's going to Israel in March, so if you want to come on a Sunday or Wednesday while he's gone. That stuff used to bother me, but I realized a long time ago, you know what? It's not about what people think about me, it's what they think about God. And the Lord's telling Timothy here, don't worry about the greatness of your enemy. Don't worry about them. You just be faithful. Don't neglect the gift that is within you because you're discouraged by what people say to you on the phone. Don't neglect the gift that is within you. Problems are to be expected. Don't let them hinder you from exercising your gifts. These guys held back because 
They didn't have the exact roadmap. They had excuses. They had reasons why they weren't serving God. You know what? I, I don't want to stand before God with a bunch of excuses. How about you? On Judgment Day, I, I, don't, think, I don't think anybody's going to be rattling off any excuses. I'm going to be face down myself. I'm just going to be like this. Thank you, Lord, I'm here. Amen? Not making excuses for why I didn't do more for his kingdom. Look at verse 3. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? And you thought only your pastor exhorted people. Look what he says here. Why haven't you gone into the land? Why are you neglecting to go and possess the land which the Lord God has given you? Again, probably because there are people who had not lived in a permanent dwelling before. Think about this. None of these people had ever lived in one place before. Ever. They just traveled all the time. That's what they did. Whole life. And they could say, but I don't know what it's like to go and like, live in one place. Uh, you know, let's just travel. I like that. They could have also been those who said, you know, that, that, well, you know, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to be, and the easiest thing is just to stick with what we already know and stay in our comfort zone, so let's just kind of hang out with the crowd instead of stepping out by faith to where God wants us to be. Let's just hang out where everyone else is instead of going out and facing the potential of an enemy. Here's this great, big, beautiful promised land And over half the tribes are just sitting around waiting for something to happen. Just sitting around waiting for something to happen. You know, if God wants to use me, he knows where I am. Five of the tribes have stepped up to the plate and seven of them were napping on the bench. Right? Five of them stepped up and said, Lord, Caleb's like, Lord, give me the land of the giants. Okay. Went up there and wiped them out. Seven tribes were napping. You know what? It's time for them to respond to God. And for whatever reason, they just weren't taking advantage of what was in front of them. They were neglecting their godly gifts. Sometimes I wonder if we even begin to get a clue about the incredible things God wants to do in our lives. The Bible says in Ephesians, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout the ages, world without end. Amen. That means he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. He can do way more than we think. And yet we're too often hesitant about what he's already promised to do. What he's already promised to do in us. Many times we don't even bother to ask God. But even when we do, God is able to do beyond what we can even imagine. You know what? We have the greatest resources at our hands. You know, it reminds me of this illustration. The Amazon River is the largest river in the world. The mouth of it is 90 miles across. And there's enough water in it to exceed the three other largest rivers in the world combined. So much water comes out of the Amazon, they can detect its current 200 miles out into the Atlantic Ocean. Now, there were these people that would go out and they would get caught in this drift and they would be dying of thirst. And they would be going around in circles. They couldn't get out of the current. They'd be dying of thirst. And some guys who, who had been in that area many times would come by and say, what's wrong with you guys? They said, we're dying of thirst. Give us some water. And they said, put your bucket in the water. That's the Amazon River coming to the ocean. And that water's crystal clear. Drink it. Here these guys were drifting and dying of thirst. And the water they needed was right over the side of the boat. 
So often as Christians, we're drifting and dying of thirst, and the living water is right there next to us whenever we will simply reach out and take it. Amen? There's so much that God wants to do in us if we will simply respond by faith. Some need to respond to the gospel. Today is a day of salvation. Others need to take advantage of what God has made available. Guys, I'm just confessing with you. I'm not talking to you. I'm I'm speaking with you. Couldn't we pray more? You want to see God do great stuff? Pray. Amen? You know, every, every time you see God doing great things in God's Word, someone's praying. And too often, we're struggling, and one of the questions I'll ask people that will call that are going through a difficult time, have you prayed about it? Well, no. Don't call me first. Pray first. Amen? Call me last. Call me and say, I've been praying about it for three months, day and night. You know, you won't call me if you've been praying about it for three months, day and night. Amen? You won't have to. I want you to call me. People, every time I do that, people go, I'm not going to call you because then you're going to use me as a sermon illustration. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes our hearts. Amen? And as we pray, we get more knit to the heart of Almighty God. How about time in God's Word? You want your faith to grow? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Other people say to me, Pastor Dave, I want to have faith like you do. I say it's easy. Just be in the Bible as much as I am. It's a fact. The more time you spend in God's Word, the more faith you're going to have. People yet are faithless, but they never open their Bible. And then lastly, what kind of relationship do you have with the Holy Spirit? Do you walk in intimacy with Almighty God? Is the Spirit of living God not just with you, but in you and upon you, flowing out of you? Lord, may we have that kind of relationship with the Lord. May we be people who humble ourselves before Him and pray. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and we can enter into the presence of Almighty God anywhere at any time. May we not take that for granted, take it too lightly. Amen? May we pray more. We got the Word of God. You know, there are people that have died wanting a Bible and never getting one. Most of us have a bunch of them at home, don't we? Which Bible am I taking to church today, right? I want to get the new, the other one with the other study thing, with the thing, right? That's what we do. I'll never forget being in Russia. We're on a metro train, and this guy was next to us. He was in his 90s. And I had a youth group with me, and this is right when the wall came down in Russia. And they handed this old man a Bible, and he's grabbing this 14-year-old girl by the arm, and he's talking to her in Russian real fast. And she thought he was, like, going to kill her or something. And she was like, ah, you know, she looks at me. I run over there with an interpreter, and he says to the young girl, he says, this is a Bible? He said, I have been praying for 70 years for a Bible. You are an answer to 70 years of prayer. He had been praying for 56 years before this girl was born for a Bible. We take God's word for granted. We take it too lightly. Just so you hear your pastor's heart. That's why it grips me so much when I see churches teaching everything but the Bible. We shouldn't teach anything but the Bible, amen? What I think is irrelevant. Who cares? Who cares? And sadly, we wander around in dryness in our walk with God and we're dry because we don't spend time in the presence of Almighty God and our lives have not been watered by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4 through 9. Not only did He exhort them, but now that he's gonna, He tells them to go out and take inventory of the land. Look at verse 4. Pick out from among you three men of each tribe, and I will send them. They shall arise and go through the land, surveying it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. 
So three men of each tribe, they've been sitting around waiting for something to happen, so Joshua gives them something to do. Okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get three of each of the tribes, 21 guys. You're going to go out and see what you've been missing. You're going to go out and get a first-hand look at the land of promise. You're going to get to go check it out. And then you're going to come back and tell me what you have found. Verse 5 and 6. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts, and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. They're going to go survey the land. They're going to walk through the land. They're going to see what's going on in the land. And then they're going to bring back the information so that the land can be divided up against the seven last tribes. All seven tribes are represented in those checking out the land, and now they're going to be the ones being given portions of the land. In a minute, when I put the map up, you're going to see that the, tri- the size of what they received was all different, but it was all based on the fruitfulness of the land, not the size of it. We'll talk about the significance of that in just a minute. Verse 7, But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. So the Levites, their inheritance was God. They didn't get any better inheritance than that. And God desired that they would be serving in the area of ministry, and so they lived throughout the land. They didn't have any specific land where they lived. Verse 8. Then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. There's an ancient historian by the name of Josephus. Anybody heard of him before? Okay, he's not a Christian. He was a first century Jewish writer who was not saved, but he's an historian. And he said that these men that went out were, were experts in geometry. Geometry means earth and measure. So these guys were experts in measuring the earth. And Josephus also records that the men who went out recorded how fruitful each portion of land was. So it wasn't the size of the land as much as the fruit it produced. One acre of fruitful soil could be the equivalent of a thousand acres of rocky soil. You're trying to grow stuff? thousand acres of dirt is not going to do you any good if it's dry. And so they were comparing what was fruitful, and that's what really mattered. The size of the land was different, but they were equal in ability to be fruitful. How does that apply to our life? You know what? While each of us may have different callings and gifts, each of us can be equally fruitful. And you may look at somebody's gift and see it as, as the size of their calling, and your mind as being something bigger. You know, in God's eyes, every calling is equal. I believe when we get to heaven, probably going to be some lady at the front of the line that spent 12 hours a day on her knees praying that nobody even knew. Too often we think it's the person, you know, that has the biggest name, that's the most well-known. And the, you know what? Being well-known before men means nothing. And the size of the land that you inhabit meant nothing. It was the fruitfulness of the land that mattered. Are our lives producing fruit? Do everything we do as unto the Lord. And you and I should survey our own walk with God on a regular basis. You know what? As we survey, we're going to find boundaries and borders in our life. And the boundaries are there that keep us from harm. 
And the borders are things that God says, this is what I've called you to. Stay within it. As you study God's word, it also gives you boundaries for your walk with the Lord. And you know what? If we don't study God's word, we will not truly be able to possess what God has for us. If we neglect to study the word of God. Now look what it says in verse 9. So they went. Now that's good. So the men went. What have they been doing for the last year or two? Not going. So sometimes exhortation is needed, isn't it? Sometimes, now we need to make sure that if we're exhorting somebody else, we're doing it because the Holy Spirit is prompting us, not because we're being busybodies. Amen? Now you know what you need to do, right? If I were you, this is what I would do. Not heard from the Lord, call somebody aside quietly, put your arm around them and say, you know, bro, I was praying, and, and man, you're heavy in my heart. And can I encourage you with something? That's more from the Lord, amen? Not the, you know what you need to do. I've been told that so many times. <laughs> if I were you, and I'm like, I'm glad you're not me, because <laughs> praise the Lord. So they went out. After some exhortation, they went out. Praise God. They responded by faith. They passed through the land. They wrote the survey in a, in a book. Now, people have often said that the oral, you know, they'll say, well, the Old Testament is just oral tradition. No, it's not. Repeatedly through it, it says it's written, right? And here it says it is written in a book. So these things were written down in seven parts by cities. And they came to Joshua at camp, at the camp in Shiloh. Verse 10. Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. Now, casting lots, we talked about this before, that when they cast lots, in some ways it was almost like rolling dice. We don't do that today, amen? Lord, if you want me to marry her, seven. Don't do that. Might marry the wrong person, amen? And then she'll go, and Lord, I'm not going to marry him, so 14, it ain't happening, right? Not going to happen. But what happens here is that, that we, they did cast lots because in this case, God had told them to cast the lot. And Proverbs says, you cast the lot in the lap and it will reveal the heart of God. Now, we know this is true because when we look at the map, we're going to see again that even though they cast lots, they all ended up exactly where God said they would hundreds of years before. Exactly where God said they would. Sometimes we think things in our life are random, but they're not. And I'll tell you what, it gives me a great amount of peace to know who's in control, and I'm glad it's not me. Amen? I'm so thankful to, to know that when I lost my job, God knew I was going to. I'm so thankful to know that when I'm diagnosed with a health problem, that God knew it was coming, and He's going to be with me through it. I'm so thankful to know that God loves me so much that he's numbered the hairs of my head, that he'd rather die than live without me, and if he's letting it come into my life, it's for a reason, and in the end, if I will trust him, it will draw me closer to him. Isn't there peace in that? Okay, Lord, it doesn't matter, because you're faithful, and you're in control. So let's move through these. I'm not going to read all the way through this, because you're all going, two more, you're out of your mind, right? I'm going to share with you a little bit about each of these tribes. The first one is the tribe of Benjamin. Do you guys have that map? I said I was going to share the map. I forgot to tell them, so if it's not there, it's my bad. All right. So the first one, we see Judah, and then we see right above it is Benjamin. 
Now in verses 11 through 28, it talks about Benjamin's portion. And it's going to fall right between Israel's two tribal leaders, Judah and Ephraim. And Benjamin's going to get a rather small portion of land. That portion there is only 25 miles wide and about 15 miles across. But you know what? It's filled with some huge cities. Jericho, Bethel, Gibeon, Ramah, Mizpah, and Jerusalem. Jerusalem is shared between Benjamin and Judah. Okay, it's right on the border there. That map's a little bit off. But it's right there between those two cities. And so Benjamin's a small place, but a very fruitful one. And it's important for us to understand that sometimes it'll seem like we're getting the smaller portion. But it's always what God is doing in that portion that really matters. And again, this fulfills prophecy because in Deuteronomy it says of Benjamin, The beloved of the Lord shall dwell safety by him, shall cover him all day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. It's interesting that if you look at at Judah, it's almost like Benjamin is right upon the shoulders of Judah. And that's exactly what it says in Deuteronomy. So they cast lots, but guess what? It ended up exactly where God said they would be. Remember that God is in control. We then get on to chapter 19. We're moving really quick now. So you could read through those, and I often do read through them, and and I encourage you to do it. Now remember, everything's in the Bible for a reason. Every one of these cities' names is in the Bible for a reason. And usually we read through them all. And I love to read them because what happens is we get a a context to where they belong. For the people reading this would have been really significant because they would have known exactly how it laid out that land to look exactly like it does on that map. Now in chapter 19, we're going to see Simeon's portion. Now I love this because Simeon's portion is right in the middle of the tribe of Judah. You see it right down here? It's right in the middle of Judah. Now remember... Ephraim and Manasseh were whining that they didn't have enough land. You guys remember that last week? Who's got the most land? Ephraim and Manasseh. And last week they were crying saying they needed more. Now why were they crying for more? Because they didn't get rid of the enemy that was in their land. Remember that? And remember how it ended up? Joshua said, you want more land? Chop down the trees in the land you got and wipe out those guys on chariots in the land that you got and you're going to have plenty of land. And they're like, well, no, we don't want to fight it. We just want it for free. We don't want to have to work for it. Now, here's the opposite. Here's Judah giving away land right within the middle of their own land. I love the, diff- the, the picture because Judah is the tribe that Jesus would come from. And here you have this, these tribes up here arguing, we need more, we need more, we need more. And again, a picture of Christ in that tribe giving away that which they already possessed. It wouldn't be too long until the identity of Simeon would one day, would soon fade away. Their territory would fade back into the tribe of Judah. And they would, many of them would migrate north. Simeon is a, a tribe that would become scattered. It says in Genesis, Cursed be their anger and fierce is their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. That's what it says in Genesis about Simeon. That's exactly what happened. If God says it, it's going to happen. Amen. He says he's coming back. How many of you know that? Guess what? It's going to happen. Amen? God says it. That settles it. Now, in verse 5, it's, it speaks of Ziklag. You remember that, store, that city? We saw last week that it was given to Judah, and now it's being shared with Simeon. It says in verse 9, the inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the share of the children of Judah. And again, Judah is willingly giving away a portion of their own 
land. They were the first tribe to inherit the land, but again, they were willing to give some of it up. It's interesting that the other countries said they needed more land, and again, as I said before, they were willing to share the wealth. It was Moses' father-in-law that told Moses that he needed to share the wealth. That's a lesson from this. We need to not hold on to everything for ourselves. You know, I don't like being sick and missing Sundays, but in some ways it's good because it gives someone else a chance to use their gift. Amen? It stretches people. If you don't give ministry away, how are people going to grow? If you hold on to everything for yourself, and we need to learn to give it away. My pastor in San Jose, Don McClure, used to tell me, Dave, a ministry success is not determined by how it functions when you're there, but how it functions when you're not. Because if it functions well when you're not, then it's not built on you, it's built on the Lord. Amen? And you're giving ministry away. Moses was wearing himself out, and he was called to give part of his ministry away. And so too we see here that Judah did the same. Now look at Zebulun's portion. Zebulun, when you trace out the locations of its city, again, it looks kind of like it's landlocked. But the closest city is, again, still about 10 miles inland. But we're going to see eventually Zebulun's borders would go all the way to the sea. So you see Zebulun up there. And eventually their borders would stretch all the way out to the sea. So Zebulun has a small portion up there in the top. You can see all the cities listed in verses 10 through 16. You know what? We've already seen how God worked things out for Benjamin. And God had a plan for Zebulun too. And Jacob, said, Jacob said this, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be a haven for ships, and the border unto Zidon. Well, guess what? That's what eventually happened with Zebulun. Moses prophesied in Deuteronomy, and of Zebulun he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in thy going out, and Issachar in thy tents. Thy shall call the people unto the mountain, and they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, for they shall suck of the abundance of the seas and treasures hid in the sand. It's awesome and mind-boggling to think about how God is able to plan in our lives and how we in our puny little earthly perspective can be ignorant of God's plan for us. Guys, He already knows everything that's going to happen in the rest of your life for every second. Did you know that? He already knows. He knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. He's numbered your days. Nobody dies too soon. Everybody dies right on time. Amen? We often say, oh, he died too young. No, he didn't. He died exactly according to the days God numbered before the foundation of the world. Amen? By the way, I don't want to be here one second longer than God wants me to be. How about you? I'm just, I'm good with, heaven works for me. Amen? Can't threaten me with heaven. And it's great to know that God has chosen us. Just as he's chosen these tribes, had a plan for each of them, God has chosen you. I used to feel so sorry for the kid that didn't get picked at P.E., you know, we'll take the girl with the cast, and you can have him. You know what I mean? <laughs> Poor guy. I used to often pick that guy first. I just pick him first. People, you're out of your mind. I just pick him first. You know why? Because who cares about the kickball game? Everybody's going to forget tomorrow. But kids are going to remember getting picked first. Amen? Here's the good news. God picked you. God picked you. God picked me. I'm on God's team. Doesn't get any better than that. Amen? And so God had chosen each of these lands. He had given them a place to be, and His will would be done. They're casting lots, but they're landing exactly in the place that God had for them. Issachar's portion, verses 17 to 23 there. Again, you see Issachar right next to Zebulun there, right along the Sea of Galilee. Issachar's portion was east of Zebulun's, 
right there along the Sea of Galilee. Then you see Asher's portion, verse 24 to 31. Asher is up there again along the coast right next to Naphtali. Now, Asher would be get the beachfront property up there in the north. And there were two very important cities, Tyre and Sidon. And though Asher seems to have lost much of its tribal identity by the time David comes later, the tribe is not totally lost. When Jesus is born, there's a prophetess there from the city of Asher. It says in Luke, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. This is a kind of interesting verse since there are some who claimed that all the northern tribes disappeared, but we know that's not true. Then we see Naphtali's portion up there next to Asher. That's in verses 32 to 39. The sixth lot came out to Naphtali. Again, it was God's foreordained plan. He'd always planned that Naphtali would be right where Naphtali ended up. And again, There was not much significance seemingly to that area until 1,400 years later when the prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled. It says in Matthew, And leaving Nazareth, he came down and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, and borders Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people saw a great light, and to them who sat in the region, in the shadow of death, has sprung up. Guess what? That prophecy was speaking of Jesus, and was spoken of Jesus 1,400 years before Jesus came, and it's how the wise men knew where he was. How did they know? A bright light shined out of that region. This is the area where Jesus spent most of his ministry. Those of you going to Israel with us, this is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. I love the entire trip in Israel, and I love Jerusalem because of some of its significance, but man, the Sea of Galilee, wow. And that's where Jesus spent two-thirds of his ministry. Lastly, verses 40 to 48, we see Dan's portion. Dan's portion was squeezed between Ephraim and Benjamin. We see it right up there. Okay. See Dan down here on the southern coast right by Ephraim? And so, sometime later, they got forced by the Amorites, and they fleed up into the mountains. And Judges, it says, And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain, for they would not suffer them to come down into the valley. The Danites weren't happy about this, so they formed a raiding party, headed north, and later renamed Dan again. You can read about this in Judges 18. Now, lastly, let's look at these last three verses, and we'll close. Beginning in verse 49. When they had made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. Man, I like this. Who was the last guy to get his stuff? Joshua. Joshua was the, the, their leader. You know, Joshua at this point is over 100 years old. You know, you, you see Joshua in the Ten Commandments and he's this kind of yoke, young looking guy, right? But by the time they get here, he's over 100. And he's the last guy to get his inheritance, and we never see him complaining. His heart was to make sure everybody else was, give, was taking their portion first. Caleb, the giant killer, was first in line, and Joshua received what was promised to him by God. He says there, According to the word of the Lord that he gave him, which he asked for, Timnath, Sarah, in the mountains of Ephraim, and he built the city to dwell in it. 
What did Joshua get? Exactly what God had promised him. What will you and I get? Exactly what God has promised to us. Guys, I want to encourage us to trust what God's Word says. And understand for Joshua, this was not a retirement gift because he continued to serve. And this was actually, even though it was a gift for this mighty man of God, it was not one of the better areas. It was much like the land that Caleb got. It was in the mountains, it was rugged, it was infertile, but it was what Joshua asked for. Caleb said, give me the land of the giants, and Joshua said, give me the land that's infertile. You know why? Because Joshua had a burden for that land. He had a heart for it. He wasn't worried about getting the wealth of this world, but reaching people for God. Last verse. These were the inheritance which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers and the tribes of the children of Israel divided as an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end of dividing the country. So when we divide the land up, what do we see? Each tribe had their place in the land of promise. Each place was totally different and each tribe had to conquer their own land. Guess what, guys? You have a place in God's kingdom. You have a gift that's different than mine. Imagine if all the children of Israel all wanted to live in one little tiny spot together. The rest of the land would suffer. If every one of us tried to have the exact same gift, how much would the church suffer? If everybody was an ear, where would be the seeing? If everybody was an eye, where would be the hearing? You've all been given gifts, you guys. Every one of you. If this is your home church, God brought you here for a reason. He knew you would be here and he wants to use you here. Can I tell you, being, just being your pastor, and here's my heart before you. There's so many more things that I would love to see us doing and reach in this county that we don't do because we just don't have people who will do it. There's more ministry available than there are people. The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. And you know what? I'm not one to get up and do this often and name a bunch of needs. You know why? Because I'd rather have the Lord speak to your heart and then have you do it because God told you, not because the pastor asked you. Does that make sense? Because if I call you, I've got to sustain you. I'll have to call you next week. you got the children's ministry. Remember, you're up this week. Come on, get out of bed. I don't want to do that. I want somebody who's called by God and can't wait to go minister to those kids. Amen? Whatever ministry we're doing, understand that each of them had a calling. The lots were cast, but they were cast exactly according to what God had foreordained before the foundation of the world. Every person had a place, and so do you. And our places are also unique. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Don't say, I wish I was more like somebody else. You know what? I wish I was more like Jesus. How about you? I got, you know what? I don't try to be Chuck Smith. I, don't, I admire him. I don't try to be Raul Reese or Greg. I just want to be, I want to be more like the Lord. Amen? I just want to follow him. And too often we're so busy trying to pattern ourselves after somebody else, we ought to just fall in love with the Lord and do whatever he says. Amen? With reckless abandon, serve our almighty God. But know this, as you step out in faith, it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. Doing what is right isn't always easy, but it's always worth it. Amen? Stepping out for the Lord isn't always easy. You might have to Take a pay cut. You might have to move. You might have to do something different. I don't know. I don't know what God's calling is on your life. So, neglecting God's gifts. Where do we often see it revealed? In the place where we worship. We saw that at the beginning of, the chap- of chapter 18. We see that exhortation came from Joshua, telling them, don't neglect their gifts. Well, 
Maybe the Lord's exhorting you tonight not to neglect your gifts. Take an inventory of the land. We too should look at our own hearts and our own lives and say, Lord, is there more you want to do with me? Am I, Lord, am I serving you or am I just sitting back waiting for something to happen? Which is it, Lord? Am I like the five tribes that are, have engaged or the seven who are waiting for something to happen? And understand that each of us is uniquely and sovereignly called by God in His perfect order. He's got a plan for each one of us. Guys, you're important to what God wants to do in this church, every single one of you. You're important. God brought you here for a reason. Man, imagine what would happen if we all had the heart to say, here I am, Lord, use me. If we all wanted to be that one person that said, Lord, I'm available. God has a calling on your life. May we, may we say, Lord, show me what it is and help me to do it, Lord, full speed for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you that you've gifted each and every person in this room tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us, divinely placed us exactly where you want us to be. Lord, we don't live in this county by chance. We don't have the jobs we have by chance or live in the neighborhood that we live in by chance. But Lord, just like the tribes of the children of Israel were placed exactly where you wanted them to be, so too you've done that in our lives as well. And so, Father, I pray that we'd be faithful in the place where you've put us. Lord, that we would bloom where we're planted. Lord, that we'd be busy about your work exactly where we are, not waiting for some new thing to come along before we can serve you. But Lord, we'd be faithful right where we are. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Help us, Lord, not to neglect the gifts you've given us. Help us, Lord, not to take that talent and bury it in the ground. But Lord, that when you return, it would be found having earned interest for your kingdom. Lord, we love you and we praise you. You're a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song. Mm -hmm.